Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Perkins Platform. This is a solutions-oriented podcast and live radio show. Each broadcast, we dedicate just about 30 minutes to explore topics of interest for leaders and professionals in education and a variety of other disciplines, and this is your host, Brian Perkins. So welcome back, everyone, this week. I uh, Another week here with some uh, another uh, author and expert that I am just excited to introduce you to, uh, someone who is a licensed psychotherapist, executive coach, and corporate trainer. Uh, you may have already noticed that there's kind of a trend of what's been happening here on Perkins' platform is that I've been running into a lot of articles and talks um, where people have have been writing and using their backgrounds in psychology that really apply to leadership. Um, and today um, we have someone who's going to talk to us about using neuropsychology um, in, their le- in your leadership practice. And so I'm excited to have um, Dr. Gina Simmons-Schneider with us today. Welcome, Gina. Thank you so much, Brian. I'm really excited to be here. Well, I'm excited to have you. And while I, I, I always like to jump right in and um, would not hesitate to jump in and talk about your book. We're going to get to that. I want to know a little bit about yourself. I know you um, you have been writing, um, written for Forbes and Wall Street uh, Journal, named um, one of your blogs a uh, a blog worth reading. So that's a pretty um, good uh, distinction to have, uh, to have them say that about you. And uh, I know you've served as a consultant for Fortune 500 companies, and so I'd love to hear just a little bit about your work, because generally when you think about people in psychotherapy uh, work, and I know you're, even though you're doing coaching, you don't necessarily think about uh, corporate training. So tell me a little bit about how you got here and some of the inspiration that led up to your book, Frazzle Brain. Oh, I'm happy to tell you the story. It's really quite interesting, I think. Um, I started out early in my career working in juvenile diversion programs. So I worked with incarcerated youth, helping them, helping first offenders, working in conjunction with the police department on programs to help kids and their families uh, make a course correction so that we don't have a life of crime, right? Um, And so uh, I found that really rewarding. And uh, in addition to uh, getting my marriage and family counseling uh, license and my PhD in psychology, I worked uh, with depressed, anxious, um, angry people. And uh, then I took a training in Uh, from uh, National Trauma Services on critical incident stress debriefings, because at that time there were a number of workplace shootings um, and homicides that were going on and uh, suicides, and people were traumatized at work. And so I was part of a team that that debriefed uh, many people, um, thousands of people we, we debriefed, after uh, several homicides. And um, in doing that work, um, 
as you can imagine, it's extremely uh, intense. And um, we really decided uh, we needed to get into prevention, <laughs> um, you know, and, and really wanted to be not on the uh, going there after the fact, but being able to prevent these kinds of hostilities from erupting and becoming fatal in the workplace. So mm-hmm. that was back in the 90s, uh, early 90s, that I was doing that work uh, with a team of professionals. And then, um, and then so we started, uh, my husband actually started the very first adult anger management class in San Diego. We were requested by the county uh, of San Diego that we needed a, an anger management class because a lot of people were erupting with stress in the workplace and it was causing problems. And so mental health professionals were brought in to try to help people be able to keep their jobs, right, and be able to function more effectively as um, as leaders. So, so what um, what we started doing is um, he was running the adult anger management classes, and then I started the teen anger management classes because I had a long background in working with angry teens and their families. And um, and so from there, uh, we were asked to do trainings for the FBI. Uh, and uh, and local colleges needed um, their staff trained in how to handle conflict and high-stress situations on campuses. Mm-hmm. And so it just evolved into um, really meaningful work. And yeah. so from there, we really – all these things are, are teachable, that we can teach people how to soothe themselves how to effectively manage their anger and the anger of others in such a way that you can lead towards more connection and, rather than disconnection and just dis, mm-hmm. and more functional behaviors as opposed to dysfunctional behaviors yes, and yes. so um yeah so i just kept on going with that and then um and then i kept hearing from everyone the word frazzled i'm frazzled here i'm frazzled you know, everybody's frazzled and yeah. um <laughs> And in our anger management work, we noticed that underlying anxiety, that anxiety and fear uh, underlies all anger outbursts. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and then sometimes I'll see people who are presenting with like panic attacks and anxiety attacks, anxiety disorders, they present with a fearfulness and underlying that is a lot of anger that's unexpressed. And so, you know, way back in Sigmund Freud's time, the father of psychoanalysis, he, he saw the link between anger and anxiety. Mm-hmm. But life is so stressful. So I, I wrote about this sort of three-headed monster of anger, anxiety, and then life stresses. All mm-hmm. sort of And I saw that there really needed to be a book that looked at how life really comes at us. It doesn't come at us one emotion at a time. Right. A lot of times you know, multiple emotions all at once. Sure. Um, sure. So I, that's why I wrote Frazzle Brain, to really help people have concrete tools they can use to, to manage that state of just being irritable, stressed out, frazzled, foggy-headed, you know, pressured, yeah. all that. Yes. And, you know, I, I just, just listening to you, I – I can imagine that there are people who hear you say things like anxiety and anxiety attacks um, or 
um, stress uh, that would say, well, I, I mean, I, I, I don't have anxiety attacks. Um, and so it's, it's not as much about kind of a clinical diagnosis of having anxiety, but that anxiety, stress, and anger are all emotions that are kind of common in the human experience, right? So it's kind of the, mm-hmm. the degree yeah. of which before it gets diagnosed as as uh, as a condition, but but that some of these same strategies that you have for people that are say clinically anxious uh, are mm-hmm. ones that can be used for people who maybe they don't have anxiety attacks, but it's the same thing that things that they can do to reduce the feelings of anxiety, even in leadership roles. Because when I first saw, particularly, so the title of the book is Frazzle Brain, Break Free from Anxiety, Anger, and Stress uh, Using Advanced Discoveries in Neuropsychology. And I, when, I, when I saw, so it's a anxiety, anger, and stress, I said, well, common emotions that I hear oh, yeah. from leaders that I, that I coach or, or even teach, that here's how I was feeling when this happened. Here's how I was feeling when that happened. And so, um, which is why I thought this would be really important in terms of having someone like yourself to come and talk about how do you, how do you manage those because there are coping skills and there are strategies that can help you. Stress isn't good uh, for you at, at even at very low levels. And so we, what we, that's what we want to, um, want to uh, discuss a little bit is, is really about um, how those three, just looking at those three, might be mitigated through some of the strategies to help leaders. Right. And I think you're, you're bringing up a great point because leaders really have been, like I work a lot with leaders and educators, and um, also I work with a couple of uh, school administrators too. And, and, you know, any managers or leaders, you'll see the, the statistics, about 30% of the job, 33% of the job, is dealing with interpersonal conflicts, which are stressful, right? And um, managing managing people issues, managing the the um, the stressful emotional outbursts or the inconsiderate behaviors or the whatever. And so, uh, so one of the exciting things, and the reason why I got so excited about neuropsychology is I was reading all of this research that that taught me how important our thinking is and the stories we tell ourselves in terms of generating the emotions that we feel. One of the most exciting and interesting facts I learned is that we tend to think of emotions as just sort of arising spontaneously inside of us. And yet, uh, only about 10% of an emotion is the actual stimulation of the experience we're in. And 90% of our emotions are created from our memories and from our predictions of the future wow. and from our, our, um, the stories we tell ourselves and our previous experiences in life. 
So mm-hmm. we construct we construct ninety percent of our emotions. So what's exciting about that is that's really empowering if you are recognizing that you are creating your own emotional reality, no matter what is happening. Mm-hmm. And that it's from your emo- from your history, it's coming from your memories, and it's also coming from your predictions of what you think is going to happen because our brain is this great predicting machine, <laughs> and we're 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 always trying to anticipate. And you know, we're driving to work. Oh, how many emails am I going to have? And who's going to come into my office? And you know, what is it going to be like? And so we we are always like preparing in our mind, and in doing so, whatever we're thinking and mentally rehearsing, our body and our brain are releasing chemical. Messengers yes. were releasing stress chemicals, cortisol. Uh, it's affecting our, it affects our digestion. We're um, releasing adrenaline. We are, um, uh, which actually um, maybe energizes us, and uh, but it also um, interferes with uh, our gut functioning and maybe makes us prone to be more reactive if we have a, a, a stressful situation come upon us. So. So what I've learned is really to liberate my mind from rigid predictions about what people are going to be like, what I'm going to be like, what the situation is going to be like, and really try to cultivate an openness and an emotional agility so that I can allow myself to get new information that can change my emotional reality Mm -hmm. and that I can cultivate the kind of emotional condition I want to have going into a situation. So um, when you learn how to lower your own stress response, you get some confidence that you can calm yourself down no matter what's going on around you and from that position of calm, you actually will will perceive more. And they did a study that was really interesting. You know how you go into those eye eye exams? If you're nearsighted like me, <laughs> I have to have <laughs> eye exams. And um, and 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 it shows you these. You know, your it watches where your eyes go uh, right. on the screen. Well, they did an exam similar to that where they showed people movies that uh, in one group of, of people, they saw all these really stressful movies that created all of these really stressful um, negative emotions. And then they showed um, uh, a group of people, a random group of people, in, uh, very heartwarming films to generate uh, positive emotions. And then they watched where their eyes went into the, in these machines. And they found that when we're activated by negative emotions, that our eyes scan a narrower field and we literally see less of what's in front of us. Wow. And that when, yeah, isn't that amazing? And when we yeah. are uplifted, when we are feeling heartwarming emotions or positive emotions, we scan more. We're more open, literally, to the entire environment around us. And so uh, that is one of the biggest tricks and one of the exercises in my book. Uh, one of the coping skills I teach people is amplify the good. 
which um, is a little exercise you can do. It's like a closed eye exercise where you, you do some deep breathing to settle your nervous system down a little bit. And then you think about someone that you really love or appreciate in your life, someone who's very special to you. And you try to vividly imagine them, everything about them, think about everything about them that you love, you know, their intelligence, their sense of humor, the, the thoughtfulness, and, the, you know, whatever the qualities are of this person. And then imagine them as if you could see them in front of you really, really clearly. And let yourself seep in that goodness that this person makes you feel or the love that this person makes you feel. And you just really immerse yourself in that. Mm-hmm. And then after people do that for a few minutes, I ask them to gently open their eyes and then just look around wherever you are in the room or outdoors or wherever you're doing it and look at whatever you find that is beautiful. What do your eyes land on that is that is beautiful or interesting or that you feel grateful for? And people are always surprised that they'll notice, oh, yes, I forgot, you know, grandma's face. She gave me that, you know, before she died. And that, I forgot that was even there on that bookshelf. And, you know, just people will notice more in their familiar surroundings and they will notice more in their unfamiliar surroundings mm-hmm. that, that's uplifting. And that's a very brief exercise that can generate a little bit of uplifted emotion in us and and something like that can then help us when we're going into a meeting uh let's say we have to deal with something uh, a disciplinary action or something in a workplace and uh, we want to feel a little more open and uplifted and um confident we can do an exercise like that and it can help yeah that sounds i mean it sounds very helpful i i think about uh, what you just said when you you mentioned uh how we much of this we can control you know we can we if we know the mechanism we can we can slow it down we can change it um i i think about having such an experience myself um just because um my response to stress uh has has lessened because for the longest time, and this was really kind of my first real success with neuroplasticity, if you will, almost accidentally. But I, I got into a habit of just saying to myself, not through any real formal declaration of myself, but just kind of got in the habit of saying, if it, if this is not something that's within my control, I'm not going to worry about it. I can't control mm-hmm. it. And I just got in the habit of saying that. And mm-hmm. accidentally, it stopped affect things stopped affecting me. <laughs> I didn't, yeah. I really, I, I, I wanted to believe that. And at first, it, it didn't help when I would say it. Um, and so I don't know how helpful it was, but I just kept saying it just, and then accidentally one day I realized that it really didn't bother me anymore, that that the things that were outside of my control. And so um, I I do, I I mean, I wholeheartedly believe what you just said about being able to control it. 
Now, I also noticed that you didn't say all you got to do is because it doesn't mean that it's easy that you can control it. But it's it's something that is within your ability to reduce your stress levels, uh, all about your reaction. And I I find it fascinating, too, because I've heard this on multiple occasions where people have said things like, um, it's not actually what the person said that impacted you. It's all the memories you've had around other people saying similar things or doing similar things. It's like when someone, if someone poked someone in the back and they had a, a, a unpleasant memory about being poked in the back, it's like, you know, they might respond disproportionate to what happened, but it's not mm-hmm. someone doing that in that moment. It is the memory. So I, I mean, that all of this makes sense. One, one a really important direction that I give in our leadership development is know yourself, know what your triggers are and understand how you can control those yourself. Um, As an example, that there are things that people can say or do that make you uh, make you, or I shouldn't say make that elicit a certain response that you don't necessarily have to give. And once Mm -hmm. you recognize that it's not so much that the person said it or did it, it is my response to it. And, and I I know that when, as I, as I've looked through um, uh, Frazzle Brain, there are things that you've said uh, and advice you've given about how to cool down and self, self self-soothe, how to support Mm -hmm. yourself. Um, but one of the most powerful aspects that I found, and this is right up front, where you're saying give your feelings a name, like name it, like make sure you mm-hmm. understand what it is that you're feeling in these moments. Exactly. And I think it's really, um, you are hitting the nail on the head, and that's one of the first things we teach people in conflict management trainings. We do these mandatory trainings sometimes for managers where they have to learn um, how to manage uh, conflicts. And before we even get into negotiation or strategies, we really start with self-awareness. Um, so that is a wisdom there that you're teaching too. It's uh, that, that if we can start with an awareness that, okay, I'm having this emotion. By the way, I'm uh, this emotion is a moment in time. It doesn't describe who I am. Right, so I am not an angry person. I am feeling anger, and that gives me a little bit of distance from the anger. It's not as if I'm now fixed in this angry state that I can't get out of. So, uh, one of the best ways that I've found to cope with any kind of strong emotions is to look at them with curiosity, with a gentle curiosity as important senders of information, that the anger I'm feeling or the fear that I'm feeling is giving me important information. You know, that scary-looking person over there that's glaring at me and wearing a heavy coat in the middle of the summer, you know, is, is, is scary. <laughs> so what is that, what is, it, what is this feeling trying to inform? Maybe I need to get some distance from that person because they look kind of, like they're up to no good. 
mm-hmm. um, they've got, you know, they're out of place. They, they have a disturbed, mentally ill look on their face, you know. My body is feeling the signals of that. Maybe I need to listen to the feeling. But I am not fear itself, and I, I do not need to be stuck in the fear. I just need to react, maybe get some distance. Um, so that, you know, I'm safe from this person. That's just a, a, an example. Um, yes. But I think, I think that if we look at our emotions as signals, like um, the other day I was walking on the beach and I got a, a thorn in my foot, my bare feet, and I stopped because it was painful and I pulled the thorn out and I rubbed my foot to soothe and comfort it. And, I, and then I decided I better wear my flip-flops <laughs> and I kept on walking. Well, that was physical pain, and physical pain is there as a signal to say, stop, pay attention, do something about that pain to soothe and comfort yourself because it's telling you something so that you don't further damage your body, right? Mm-hmm. And so emotional pain is the same. If you think about it like physical pain, it's a signal. Uh-oh, you're mad about something. You're feeling threatened. Something is going on in the workplace. Oh, they just fired your boss who you adore. Uh Uh-oh, is the company downsizing? You know, what is this fear telling me? Do I need to get my resume ready? Um, uh, So you're having this signal, and it's like you have to stop and take the thorn out and look at it and go, what what do I do to soothe and comfort myself? And when you look at, at, at emotions as signals, you go through them rather than staying stuck in them. And you're less likely to have them be amplified because when we stuff those emotions, we still carry them around and they tend to mm-hmm. leak out in these you know, little nasty comments or they, you know, uh, we feel them in our gut and we start getting yeah. some, you know, intestinal yeah. issues or whatever. Absolutely. So it's good to honor those emotions like this is this pain is here for a reason yeah yeah absolutely well i know look we're we're, it's already we're close to out of time but i do want us to jump to talking specifically about frazzle brain um for those of you who may have uh joined us late and are just now um listening um we're talking with dr gina simmons schneider who is the author of uh, a book, Frazzle Brain, uh, Break Free from Anxiety, Anger, and Stress Using Advanced Discoveries in Neuropsychology. Uh, She's a licensed psychotherapist, an executive coach, and a corporate trainer. And um, so there are really concrete strategies in here about managing those three frequently experienced emotions from from leaders. Um, and what I'd like to do, um, I know that there are um, several just really amazing areas that I think would people would benefit from, but um, I just uh, know we have only time for some of the big takeaways, um, if you could give uh, about it. But for those of you who may be interested in the book, uh, there, are, there, there are sections on, um, on the power of imagination, um, about uh, how relationships can change your brain, uh, how mindfulness heals, and, and just, like I said, uh, ways 
specifically in the last chapter about how you can track your transformation and maintain your progress um, in, in something that uh, uh, Gina calls the um, uh, calm brain for life. So uh, tell us a little bit um, in these last few minutes about what, are, what do you uh, have as the big takeaways uh, of this book? takeaways, I think, is that I want to empower people that we have the power to change how we feel, and that can change our biology, uh, not just our neurobiology, but our physiology. So it, it, it's really powerful. And I have the book broken down into three sections, which is the, the first section really looks at focused thoughts, how to focus your thoughts. Like when you talked about uh, telling yourself, uh, if I can't control it, I'm not going to worry about it. So you, you learn to focus your thoughts away from things you can't control and towards things that you can control. That's a really good example of how a focused thought can pull you away from anxiety and into more productive thinking. And so I give examples of how to focus your thoughts on purpose, not just waiting for your thoughts to kind of ramble into the right place, but actually, you know, being able to, to direct them in, in a place that's going to really give you a payoff. And then the second part of the book is about intentional behaviors. So these are behaviors that are designed to soothe and calm yourself. And, and um, they're things like connecting with nature, balancing your gut uh, through healthy diet and, um, and exercise and relaxation and um, cultivating kindness, these kinds of behaviors calm our nervous system down. When we behave kindly towards others, it actually calms our nervous system down. And so um, those are very important things for overall mental health and well-being. And then healing, because one of the tricky things, the last section of the book is about healing experiences. Mm-hmm. And to intentionally choose healing experiences, and I give examples of what those are. But uh, one of the reasons we need to have healing experiences, that thoughts and behaviors aren't enough, is when we have been victimized by trauma. Because trauma is one of those things that does change the brain, and we can overcome trauma through new experiences. So we have to unfreeze ourselves and allow ourselves to have new experiences in order to learn. For example, if you've been um, abused by others, for example, you need to have healthy relationships and the new experience of having people take care of you and care for you Mm. to understand all people are bad, right? So that new experience of being loved or cared for, being in a community that's safe, um, that when we're in a safe community, that helps us heal from that wound of having been unsafe. So, um, and our brain heals by building new neural connections, that neuroplasticity that you talked about earlier. Yes. So when we um, target those healing experiences, and I talked about mindfulness is one of those um, healing experiences that actually can heal the brain. And uh, if you've had a, a you know, I mean, most of us are going to have at least one trauma in our life, you know, something really life-threatening, you know, that we're going to go through. As, mm-hmm. the, as the comedian Carlin says, 
uh, life is a near-death experience. So at some, at some point, you know, we, we are all going to have something scary happen to us. So, um, so you know, we want to be able to cope with that, and, and we have to be able to allow ourselves new experiences that teach us uh, about life and allow us uh, to um, have a more full life, fulfilling life. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much. Well, listen, I, we're already, in fact, over time, and I, I really appreciate uh, you coming on and talking with me. Um, I know that there are people that are going to listen and um, want to um, know where they can find uh, you and the, the work that you're doing. You have, I know you have a blog and other things that you're doing in addition to the book. Um, and if you have any other books or articles, um, where can people find you, social media handles, what have you? Please let us know. Um, how can we find you? You're, the easiest way is go to frazzlebrain.com. That's uh, frazzlebrain, one word, dot com. And you can find all my social media links. I'd love uh, people to follow me. And also you can contact me through frazzlebrain.com, and I respond to all the, the comments and uh, or questions that you have uh, that anyone might have. I also um, blog for Psychology Today, and uh, you can find me um, uh, at Frazzlebrain on Psychology Today. That's the name of my blog. Uh, or just look up my name, Gina Simmons-Schneider, and you can find me with Psychology Today. I have a lot of articles that are really designed to be helpful uh, for our leaders and everyone in general, and um, I give up-to-date tools from research. So hopefully it's um, it, it's fun. And I also tell stories, too, because I know uh, a lot of times these things stick better if we have a story, you know, attached to it. So so hopefully, um, hopefully that will help. And um, I am working on a second book, but it's not uh, – I can't tell anybody when it's coming out yet. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> well, we'll be looking forward to it and really uh, appreciate you coming and giving us some of these um, helpful tips. And um, for those of you who might be interested, again, the title of the book is Frazzle Brain. Uh, so, um, Gina, um, I am so appreciative of you uh, being here today. And um, just wishing you the best in all your future endeavors. Uh, go well, stay well. Thank you so much, Brian. It was my pleasure. And 